may have seen the sermon series uh, that we are beginning today. By the way, go and find in your Bibles, if you would, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12, and got a verse or two in Matthew, one we may look at as well. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. But this series is a C-O-V-I-D Christmas. Not really sure how that was going to come across to you, but uh, as we look at that today, I want you to be able to understand and Regardless of what is happening in our world today or what's happening in 2020, what's happening to you personally, God wants to give you a clear message, thus the theme of what we've had for 2020. So a COVID Christmas 2020 has to do with seeing clearly what God would have to tell us today. And we're using those letters. We're just kind of borrowing that so that we might be able to have emphasis and that you might know the direction we're going. Letter C for today. And as we talk about that, we're going to be looking at uh, at least a name or a description of Jesus, and today Christ is the anointed king, as well as what we're going to call a gift that he wants to give each one of us this Christmas, also that's going to begin with the letter C today, and we'll use O-V-I-D uh, as well for the rest of the weeks, be the four weeks, including this Sunday, leading up to Christmas, and then on Christmas Eve, as we'll light an Advent uh, candle each Sunday, and then light one on Christmas Eve and come to be a part of that. And uh, we're having two services. We usually just have one pack the place to the brim, usually on Christmas Eve. But we're going to have two uh, today, uh, or two on Christmas Eve at 3.30 and 5. So you want to anticipate that. Hey, thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you for doing that as well. I was going to eventually move up there. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 is where we are today. You look like you're bright and ready. And Aaron and team has prepared us uh, for these moments. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1 reads like this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it was written by the prophet... And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7 reads, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. There's a story told about a, a very old and wise man that lived in a certain village. All the people in the village knew that they could come and they could ask questions and be able to get wise counsel from this wise man in the village. Well, one day one of the villagers, ox, the only ox that he had, had died, the ox that he used to plow his field. And he went to the wise old man and he told him, he said, my ox has died and I don't have any... I'm not able to plow my fields, and it is the very worst thing that has happened. Don't you think that this is the worst thing that happened? And the wise old man said, well, maybe so, maybe not. 
Well, the villager thought the wise man has gone crazy or has gone mad. Surely this is the worst thing that has ever happened. He told all the other villagers to watch out because the wise man doesn't seem to be very wise anymore. Well, then the very next day, the wise man saw close to his farm, he saw a wild young horse. And he thought to himself, since he doesn't have an ox, maybe he could go capture the horse. And so he did, and he captured the horse. And he used the horse in order to be able to plow his field. And he plowed it faster and easier than he had ever done before because of the horse. So he went back to the wise old man, and he told him, and he apologized to him. He said, oh, how did you know that this was not the worst thing that could happen? Because now I have a horse in which I might be able to plow my fields. Isn't that the best thing that has ever happened? And the wise old man said, well, maybe so. Maybe not. Well, he thought, surely the wise old man has lost his mind if he cannot see and understand that this is the best thing that has happened. And then the very next day, his son was riding the new horse that they had found, and he was bucked off, and he broke his leg. And he thought, oh, no, this is terrible. We'll starve to death because I don't have my son to help me to plow my fields. He went back to the, to the wise old man, and he told him, he said, how did you know that this was not the best news that had ever happened? Because my son now has fallen off of his horse, off the horse, and he's broke his leg, and he won't be able to help me plow my fields. We're going to starve to death. Isn't this the worst thing that has ever happened? And the wise old man said, well, maybe so, maybe not. Oh, no, not again, said the villager. Surely the wise old man has gone mad. And then the very next day, some of the troops under which the village was ascertained had to come in, and they took all of the young, able-bodied men to go off and fight in the war that had just occurred. He was the only young man that was not taken off to risk his life. This often told fable certainly teaches us many things. One of those things is that that which we may think is the very worst thing that could have happened may actually turn out to be for good. And sometimes those things that we think are the very best, we don't know that they're going to turn out always to be the very best or be the very best thing. We must simply trust in the sovereignty of God. So this fable and the story of the wise men help to teach us that we have a God who has a universal perspective that looks and sees not only what's happening today but what's happened in the past and certainly knows what's going to happen in the future and that we are and that we can certainly trust Him. After all, who would have thought that a young baby born in a dirty stable in an obscure village would be the Savior of the world? Who would be looking for that? Well, some people certainly were looking for the Savior, and wise men and women still do. The New Testament begins, actually, in Matthew chapter 1, with the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham all the way down to Jesus. In fact, I think it was one of our staff members that preached uh, on this very passages and was bold to read every single name that was in those first 16 verses. I'm just going to read the very... The very, the very, the ver, the sixteenth verse of Matthew chapter one, which says this: It says, "And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ." And so, reading from Matthew to Revelation, the very first time we find in the New Testament that Jesus is called Christ is in Matthew chapter one and verse sixteen. And then we read it again just a moment ago in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. This morning, if you've got your notes there in front of you, they may help out, or we're going to put them here on the screen for you as well. But we're going to talk about the search for Christ, the anointed king. Christ meaning the anointed one. And as we do, we're going to look at the purpose of the story of the wise men. 
I recognize today that we're looking at things a little bit backwards, although we're kind of living in an upside-down year, so maybe it's okay. But you notice this is after the birth of Christ. Wise men come a little bit later, but we're going to be looking today about the significance of the story of the wise men. We're using it first because of the subject matter that we're looking at today, the sea with the name of Christ and the gift that Christ wants to be able to give us as well. i got to give you a warning today, though. It may be today that your picture of the nativity scene and the manger and even maybe the full story of Christmas, it may look a little bit different today. And so you want to pay close attention to be able to see, does it really look different than what I thought it did there at the manger scene or the nativity or even at the story of Jesus? And I also want to give you a warning today that your attitude and how you view 2020 and the things that are happening in this world and maybe in your life, your attitude might change today as we pay attention, close attention to what God's Word has to tell us in light of the coming of the Christ child. So here's the first thing. One of the purposes of the story of telling the story of the wise men is that so you and I will not forget the value of good news. So you and I will not forget the value of the good news. When Jesus was born in virtual obscurity, God sent a star to be seen by people in a far-off foreign land to a people who would have no knowledge nor claim nor rights to the saving grace of God. God was declaring that the Son of God was to be the Savior, not just of the Jewish people alone, but to the whole world. You know, sometimes that which makes something valuable is because it's rare. It's not easily accessible. Diamonds and gold sometimes are considered rare and valuable because you can't usually dig those up in your backyard. We're told about oil prices and gas prices. They usually go up because uh, the supply is less than the demand. Or sometimes it just goes up because it's the holiday season, we understand. But we need to be careful not to lose the value of the good news about Jesus. Let me, let me challenge you today when you leave here and you drive home today or wherever you drive. Some of you are really close. Some of you are really far away. But uh, as you drive, count how many churches you pass between here and your house. Now, we're glad that you chose to come at Parkway. And some that are living right here in the neighborhood said we come because it's really close. And that's okay. And whatever reason, we're glad that you're here. But count how many churches that you count between you and your house. Now, let me ask you this. How many Bibles do you probably have in your house or in your car at any given time? Can you find any on Sunday morning? But we have, you're like us, you've got multiple Bibles. And if you've got a TV or a radio or cable or you can Google, you can find pretty much preaching or Bible study any time, day or night, 24-7, 365. Now, understand, not all of it may be worth listening to, but the point is the good news is all around us. We're fortunate in the country and society and culture in which we live, but we're also in danger of losing the sense of value and worth of the best news in the world. Understand the value and the power of the good news of Christ's coming never diminishes, but our sense of it can when it becomes so common to us. First international mission work that we find in the New Testament was done to the miraculous sign of a star that could be seen from the east, meaning it could be seen from the east of Jerusalem. They traveled from far off places. We're not told exactly where from. Some think that it may be Persia. There's tradition that came from India or even some, maybe some of the wise men came from Africa, though that's not really east of 
Jerusalem. It is east of us, however. Traveling many miles, many days, weeks, and perhaps even months to see the Christ child. Now, we read a moment ago there are some living in Jerusalem, five miles from Bethlehem, who did not even care to make the short journey, even after hearing about the birth of the Messiah. There are places in some countries to where missionaries and pastors may have maybe a Bible study or a seminar that will last maybe a week or two weeks and the time will be from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Now there's nothing really so significant about that time except that it is strategic time because there will be those who travel three hours or more in order to be able to get to the Bible study or the seminar, the Christian teaching every day because they get up at dusk, they travel uh, they get up at daylight, travel for three hours, and then after it's over, they leave at three so that they might be able to be home by dusk so because of their yearning to be able to hear and know God's Word. A traditional 11 a.m. worship service, which was most church times in the past. Now you have to look on the website to make sure when the church is starting so that you won't be late or be too early. But at 11 o'clock was because we were an agricultural nation and those who had farms needed to take care of their cows and do all the milking and whatever else needed to be done so that they might be able to make it to worship. But you know, today we know that God is at work in ways that we cannot fathom. And whether it's here or in other places around the world, people are hungry for the good news and the things of the one true God who is Christ, the anointed King. So one purpose of the story that we read today is to renew our desire to worship Christ. Well, thank you for being here today and thank those who are watching online. I don't know if we have any in our overflow rooms or not. I started to go tell them we have some room for you if you're in the overflow, but you could still come down or hang the every word in the overflow. It'd be okay. But for those who have not quite yet made it back to church or who cannot make it back to church, all much grace is extended and we certainly have great understanding and it may be that the Lord is using these very times in order to give you a greater desire to be with God's people and to worship. However, there's also a danger of being away from God's house that you must recognize if you're away from the Lord's house in order that we might understand that it may diminish our desire to be with God's people if we are not careful. Much caution to allowing happenings in 2020 to diminish the value of the good news in your heart. But be diligent. Let the journey of the wise men this Christmas season renew your hunger for the things of God. Get your Bible out again and read those pages which are the very words and the treasures of God. Renew your prayer life and make it a priority. Let the church not be a sense of duty but a place of joy and fellowship where you want to come together and worship with others and serve with joy and fellowship. What's the purpose of the story? Well, another purpose, so you and I will desire to take part in his kingdom. So you and I will desire to take part in his in kingdom work. I want to I want to ask you some questions about the wise men. We're going to put them up here on the screen. And if you love quizzes and probably as Bible scholars, you know the answers to all of these. And that'll be okay. If you don't love quizzes and it's not your thing, we'll be over in about two minutes and we'll move on to something else. But here's some questions. Let's see if we can go and put those on the screen. Uh, were they, speaking of the wise men, were they at the manger? How many were there? Were they kings? Did they see a star in the east? And how did they know to follow the star? Now, 
feel free whether it's in your mind or you jot something down and if you get them all right we'll find a prize for you of some kind but uh, were they at the manger well probably by now and how we've talked about this you know that they were not at the manger verse 11 says they came to the house so if you've got your wise men already set up at your nativity scene shame on you no keep your wise men there it'll be okay just put them behind the shepherds or something like that but we know that they probably actually came months up weeks and months later we know that herod asked the wise men when did you see the star thinking that's when the new king of the jews had been born and you know that it had to be less than two years because he came and sought to kill every baby in bethlehem that was two years old how many were there well by tradition we usually say three because of gold frankincense and myrrh and because of we three kings you know or we sing three but uh we don't know how many were there. It could have been 10. It could have been 30. It was more than one because we know that it was plural. Were they kings? Well, no, they were not kings, or really I guess it is unknown. We know that believe that these were prominent men called the Magi in some of your translations, which is where we get the word magicians, but it's not like we would think of David Copperfield. These were astronomers and astrologers, probably all at the same time mixing science and superstition and uh, but we do not know if they were kings or not did they see a star in the east well this may be a trick question they were in the east but where did they see the star it was in the west so they had to go west and they had to follow the star in the west anybody got 100% so far how did they know to follow the star if you said God told them uh, we'll give you a bonus or we'll give you half a point or something that God told them and they're and, we may not know exactly how they knew. They were astronomers. Something exciting was going on, perhaps. But I'm going to tell you that it may have been that they knew to follow the star because of the prophet Balaam. Anybody remember the prophet Balaam? Balaam was the one who was on the donkey. He had come and remember God, the angel, the uh, donkey saw the angel, but Balaam did not. And we'll talk more as we continue because we know that uh, they, the wise men may not have been totally ignorant about the one true God. Remember Daniel and the Israelites who were exiled? Daniel was exiled to Persia who was there all of his life after from being a young man to an older man and there he know that he preached and he prophesied and he told many people about the one true God. And it could be that some of these wise men understood about who the one true God because of Daniel and his preachings and because Daniel would have had the first five books the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. And perhaps they were able to get a hold and be able to, as prominent men, to be able to study those first five books of the Bible. And it may have been that they were watching for the prophecy. Now, we are introduced to Balaam in Numbers chapter 22. And Balaam is a so-called prophet, though he is a Gentile, and he is called upon by the king of Moab to come and to curse the Israelites who are making their way from Egypt to the wilderness about to enter to the promised land. And he's on his way actually to curse the Israelites or, he's, or at least he goes with the people and there of course that uh, angel's in the road. The donkey, Balaam's donkey, sees the angel and stops him uh, before. And you might remember about the talking donkey and, and all of that. One of the great, uh, one of my favorite Old Testament stories. If you've not read it or you weren't here the day we talked about it some weeks ago, we'll go back and read Numbers chapter 22. 
But God tells Balaam he cannot curse the Israelites. In fact, he says that she's going to bless the Israelites. And he finishes the next two chapters, Numbers 23 and 24, praising God and blessing the Israelites and giving prophecy. Anybody, are y'all with me so far on this? Because I want you to notice in Numbers chapter 24 in verse 17, he talks about a future king to come out of Israel. Numbers 24, 17 says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. But you do understand, God could have simply whispered in the ears of the wise men, there's a new king that's been born, you need to go and see him. Follow the stars and worship the newborn king. Or he could have used Daniel and the Israelites who were taken into exile 600 years before Jesus was born to spread the good news of a coming king. That which seemed the very worst perhaps to Daniel and his friends and his fellow Israelites going into exile turned out for good to bring more people to Jesus. I, I did have a question when I hear this and talk about this, that if they knew about the prophecy of Numbers and the prophecy of Balaam, why didn't they know the prophecy from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 that is going to be born in Bethlehem? I actually wrestled with this a little bit because... And then I came to understand the prophecy that had been written when Daniel was in exile in Persia about the light coming out of Judah. The prophecy about Bethlehem in Micah 5 2 had not been written yet. And as watchers of the stars, when a new star suddenly appeared, which simply does not happen, they saw it was a fulfillment of Balaam's prophecy with the prompting and choosing of God. Off they went to Judah. And naturally, they found themselves in the capital city of Jerusalem, not knowing about the prophecy of Bethlehem. But according to verse 2, why were they looking for him? Boy, that's a big build-up to what I'm about to tell you. But I don't want you to miss it. Why does it say in verse 2 that they were looking for the new king of Israel? He said, we've come to worship. Get this. They wanted to be in on it from the beginning. They didn't ask for anything, not for favor in the future or to be remembered for making the effort, but just to take part to worship and to give gold, frankincense, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Chances are this year your schedule may not be as busy as it usually is because of what's been happening this year. So it may be that you might have more time maybe to spend with Jesus, more time to contemplate the reason for the season. It may be sometimes your schedule is so busy between now and Christmas that you hardly have time to remember the reason for the season. But what distinguishes you and me as believers in the Lord Jesus, followers of Christ from the rest of the world this season or any time during the year? How about this? True believers do not worship God just at certain seasons of the year. No, nor do nor are we to do good just to earn points with God, but the wise men remind us our number one desire, no matter how busy or how difficult life gets, is to be in on kingdom work from the beginning and to be in the center of God's will and to be able to worship Him. Why this story? Is it so you and I will open the doors for others to know the good news? So you and I will open the doors for others to know the good news. The wise men being from faraway places remind us the good news is open to everyone. But the wise men did something very unusual for men when they came to Jerusalem. They asked for directions. Now remember that these were wise men 
as opposed maybe to the regular kind. They had followed the star and it rested over Judea. Where else would the king be born but in the capital city of Judea in Jerusalem? And maybe they were expecting to come into the city and to be able to see all kind of banners and parades and celebrations of the one who was to be born who was king of the Jews. But when they found none, they went and found King Herod, the appointed Roman king of the Jews, king over Judea. Herod himself was half Jew but showed his ignorance when he had to call the chief priests and the scribes to answer the question of where the Messiah would be born. And the chief priests and the scribes came in and they answered from Scripture, from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Matthew gives a paraphrase in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So the king would be born in Bethlehem, they discovered the wise men for the very first time. Herod calls the wise men secretly in order to talk with them, and he tells them, well, about this new king would be born in Bethlehem. He says, go and search diligently and find the king, and when you find the king, he tells perhaps the biggest lie in all of history. Come and tell me so that I might be able to worship him also. But he doesn't want to worship him, does he? In fact, he wants to kill Jesus. In fact, he tries to do that very thing when he later issues the order to kill every male child two years and under in Bethlehem. And they would have returned and told the king, but the wise men were told in a dream not to tell King Herod and return another way to their own country. And not telling Herod actually allowed the message to be told to others at the risk of their own lives. But I want you to notice, if you would, verse 3 that we read a moment ago. It says, when Herod the king heard this, heard that the king of the Jews had been born... He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Herod was disturbed, some of your translations say, or troubled, probably an understatement, for the word means terrified. And we know why Herod was troubled. In, in history, King Herod was known for two things. He's known as the great builder and the great murderer. He would execute anyone who was at least bit threat to his throne which included one of his wives and several of his sons. One of the sayings about King Herod in those days was that it's safer to, being, to be King Herod's pig than his son. Just before his death, we knew he was about to die, he had many of the distinguished citizens of Judea locked up and arrested, according to Josephus, the first century historian. And he gave the order that at the moment of his death that all of these distinguished citizens of Judea would be executed. So all the land would be mourning because he's afraid no one was going to mourn his death. Thankfully, this order was not carried out after his death. But it's easy to see how the news of the Christ child, king of the Jews, would terrify this insecure king. So in verse 3, why was Jerusalem troubled? Well, probably because Herod was troubled and they knew of his cruelty. Political unrest is never good for people. When the king was not happy, the people were not happy. They were troubled. A kingdom without God brings fear and discontent. Jesus came to bring, it's been testified in the Christmas story, peace. And it was five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Instead of seeking Jesus, they were troubled. The chief priests and scribes who brought the news of the place where Jesus would be born did not make the journey. Why would that be? 
It was because their religion was one of knowledge and self-serving hypocrisy. Have you been troubled any this year? Any troubles come your way in 2020 and maybe have bothered you? Well, surely so. Jesus was born as the Christ child, not to say you shouldn't have any troubles or shouldn't feel troubled or distressed, but he came so that he might be able to tell you that he understands. Well, the people of Jerusalem were troubled, even though the good news was only five miles away. Even without a moped, a little over an hour walk could get you there. Well, maybe they didn't know. They didn't understand. The indications were that they knew more than the wise men. Chief priests and the scribes knew. King Herod now knew, and it made it even meaner. But Jesus is so close. In 2020, the world is troubled. The United States is troubled in our State in our corner of Lee County, people are troubled. But speaking of being troubled and being speaking of peace, we remember the words of Jesus. What did Jesus say? What I have told you these things so that you may have peace. For in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So, so what do you do with your troubles? Well, remember that Jesus came to let you know that he understands why we celebrate Christmas, that God understands. We need to remember all the promises of the Lord Jesus. We need to go his, to his word and that he is greater and wants to give you peace and search out his scripture. But how about this? Trade your troubles and trade your burdens for that which burdens God. What most burdens are, Lord, he wants all people to come to know him and all people to be saved. You've got your guides here. We've got time for this. Take a look at your guide if you would. You don't have to open it up, but if you grab that, look on the very back if you have one. If you don't have one, grab one on your way back. They may have slipped out. We noticed that the, the more we put in, the more they slip out as you pull them out. But Paul Chitwood is the president of the International Mission Board, and he says this, you're part of the, this eternal work through your giving, your praying, your sending, and your going. Every church, regardless of its size or resources, has a part to play in reaching every nation with the gospel and the nations are waiting thank you for doing your part I read somewhere close to seven over seven and a half billion like 7.7 billion people in the world today well, I know I'm getting old I remember when it became six billion and it's growing and supposedly one third of the world claims to be a Christian. Although I'm sure that the term for Christian is not a narrow definition. So there are five billion people or more who need to be reached for Jesus. Well, that's almost too overwhelming of a number to even comprehend. But in Lee County, Alabama, 50 to 60 percent of our neighbors are lost or unchurched. There's still a lot of people. Half the people that live in your neighborhood Half the people in your office or in your school or on your ball or dance team need to know Jesus. Is your heart troubled enough for the lost, for the Lord to use you to open doors for others to know the good news? Now, I want to tell you that in the coming days and weeks and particularly as we move into 21, we're going to talk more and more about how we might be able to open doors for more people to know the good news. And if you're thinking, I kind of get tired of hearing about how people need to come to know Jesus you might not be in the right place. But 
Also, but if that is your thing, if you can, if we can begin to be troubled and be on fire for telling more and more and showing the love of Jesus to others, oh, we can get on on this thing that God is doing and see more and more people come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. The people of Jerusalem were troubled but didn't do anything. My fear is not that we're troubled, but that we're not troubled enough and we do not do anything. We don't join God in His mission. Will we be found faithful in reaching people around the world? We'll also be found faithful in reaching people close to home. Consider the moments for a moment that the troubles that we're facing this year, that you're facing today, that the Lord may actually want to use this to open doors to share about Jesus. Maybe through your generosity. Maybe through the example that you said as you trust in Jesus. Maybe through conversations that you're having about the troubles that maybe that you could share with others and that other people can understand that actually turns into a conversation that you share what Jesus means to you, the difference he's made in your life. Lord, would you trouble us enough? Would you break our hearts enough to stir us to action that we might live a life that points to you, that we might take advantage of the opportunity to talk of the Christ child who was born in a manger who died on the cross and rose again so that we might have real life and everlasting life. Jesus knows our troubles and he's the answer. We must trust him and we must let others know. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 9 that we read a moment ago says, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose and went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. The light came and it shone first over Israel. We have a saying among, maybe among Southern Baptists anyway, that the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. Which means if we care about people who are living around the world who need to know Jesus, we all do even more ministry right here in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities. The stars shine brightest over Israel. And in verse 9, maybe we have an understanding there that the first time, at least since it had been spotted, it moved. And it came and it rested over Bethlehem, and not over Bethlehem, but the very place where Jesus was. What will we say when people ask us, where can we find Jesus? Or will they have to ask? Will they not see the light that shines bright because we're on a mission with God in His work wherever it leads. A visitor came to town where I was the pastor. Nobody noticed him when he came in. Nobody knew him. And he came, he spent the night on the steps of the Methodist church near downtown. Police picked him up the next morning. And somebody said he was sleeping out there. And they came and they took him to one of the care houses in the town and somebody there knew me and they called me up and, and uh, I went and got Deacon, and Deacon and I went and picked him up. He wanted a bus ticket to go to another town, and uh, so we got him a bus ticket, and, and fair, all fairness and all honesty, we just kind of moved him over to the next town. And uh, But on our way, we began to talk with him a little bit, and I, I shared with him a little bit of the good news of the gospel using the letters of faith, F-A-I-T-H. I told him F stands for forgiveness that you cannot go to heaven without God's forgiveness. A stands for available, because forgiveness is available for everyone, but it's not automatic. I is for impossible. It's impossible for God to allow sin into heaven. T is for turn. You must turn from sin and self and turn toward Jesus. And H is for heaven. Everyone who calls upon Jesus will be saved and go to heaven. H is also for the here and now, that Jesus has come to give your life purpose and meaning. 
certainly spent a little more time than what I just shared with you, but basically I remember that's about what we shared. We had prayer with him, and we bought him lunch, and we put him on the bus. Never expected to hear from him again. Two or three months went by, and his name was Richmond. I got a letter from Richmond two weeks before Christmas. And I kept that letter for a while. I'm not sure where it is now, but uh, on, in the letter he thanked us for the bus ticket. Told us he was no longer homeless. He had a job. He was doing well, taking care of himself. And said he prays, reads the Bible that we gave him every day. And he talked about the difference that Jesus has made in his life because of that day that he heard the good news. Felt I'd just pass him along to another town. But his letter convicted me to remember why we do what we do because people need Jesus and he can make a difference in every life. And sometimes I can forget it. But oh, I'm thankful for the Christmas story. I'm thankful for the story of the wise men to be reminded of God's good work so that you and I will differentiate and distinguish the unique work of his kingdom. Wise men and boys and girls and women are always searching for how Jesus will be at work. And with God's help, we'll be able to distinguish the difference between the things that are worldly and the things that are godly, to be able to see the difference between those things we need to be involved in and those things that we don't need to be involved in and those things that will show a greater love to people around us in this present world. C-O-V-I-D Christmas 2020. 2020, we want to be able to see clearly God, the Lord, and where he's at work. The C, and the C-O-V-I-D stands for Christ. It is his name, Christ, the anointed king. Christ means the Messiah. But there's a gift he wants to give you. This is the first of five gifts that we're going to talk about that he wants to see, wants you to have, and they want you to be able to see very clearly. Here's the gift, Christ-centered living. He wants you to be able to understand and know that no matter what you're facing today, you can clearly see crisis at work in your life. And there are times that you may be thinking, I don't know where crisis is at work. I cannot tell what's happening, but that's where faith comes in, and faith can be even strengthened. It's not always easy to live Christ-centered living. If it was easy, you would not need faith. But oh, how Christ can use these days to help to grow our faith so that we might be able to be as believers, understand and use the gift that he wants to give us so that you might live a life that is Christ-centered, seeing Christ as a part of everything that's happening in and around us. It's a gift that many followers of Christ fail to open and to use. I want you to open it. I want you to use it. Use it this Christmas season. Use it beyond in the new year live Christ-centered. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior today, know that Christ is wanting. His desire, His greatest burden is that you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you're here today, if you're listening online, we want to encourage you to give your heart and life. You can do that today. Don't put it off. Ask Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Understanding the letters of F-A-I-T-H also means forsaking all, I trust Him. You can put your faith and your trust in Him today. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for how your word speaks to us each and every time. We thank you, Father, for this time of year as we begin to anticipate and prepare for the worship and celebration of the Christ child. And in these days, Father, we pray that you may continue to be at work in our hearts and our lives so that 
we might be able to see where you want to use us. That we might be able to see how you want to make us more like Christ and how we can point other people to Jesus. We pray, Father, if there's one here, one listening today, doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation. That because of the Holy Spirit knocking on the heart's door, because of what your word has to say, worship today has led them to say, yes, that's what I want in my life. Yes, I want to know I have eternal life. They can call upon Christ as well. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.